welcome to the Bridge the Divide podcast with Erica Turner and Heidi Wheeler, hosts and founders of the group Bridge the Divide Cedarburg. We hope to provide a forum for discussion and action around racial reconciliation. We seek to identify instances of inequality, foster empathy, and educate others to recognize their part in problems and solutions in Ozaki County and beyond. Welcome to part two of our interview with Dr. Margaret Rosga. When we are, well, we're in the studio today and we've already completed that interview, but we're going to share the second half of that in just a few minutes. Um, but we want to let you know, we also hosted her after our recording with her. She came um, and did a talk for us right after that interview. Um, and she talked for about an hour at the library. We hosted an event and we were able to. Um, listen to that talk, and we also got to go out to dinner with her. So we spent um, a few hours with Dr. We did. Rosga. And um, if you are tuning in without hearing last week, uh, she is the widow of Dr. Fa- Father, I'm not Dr., of Father... Father Grappi. Yep, Father Grappi. Was it James? James Grappi? James Grappi. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was, you know, integral in the open housing marches of, of in Milwaukee. And she was a member of the NAACP um, and ended up having a small role, but she talks about that in the interview, um, how every, every role is necessary. And um, she was in a support role at that time. Um, but we just want to let you know that we had all of that, um, that time with her. So as we're speaking today, it's after the fact. Mm-hmm. And so... Here's our second part of the interview with Dr. Margaret Rosga. So I'm curious about um, what was going on nationally at the time. That the right before the marches occurred, I read it was called the Long Hot Summer. There was riots in New Jersey and Detroit. Um, there was Vietnam War protesting going on. And how did, if it did, how did what was going on nationally impact what ended up happening in Milwaukee? Yeah, if you read um, histories of the civil rights movement, uh, a lot of them begin with the Montgomery bus boycott or with the Brown versus the Board of Education school desegregation decision and end at Selma and at 1965. Uh, When I read them, I was astounded. For one thing, they made me invisible Mm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because Mm. the open housing marches were in 1967. Um, And historians are actually correcting that view. They now more and more historians talk about the long civil rights movement, which actually began as soon as there were African Americans on this continent. Amen. And, and, and 
continues today mm-hmm. uh, with different phases. Mm-hmm. The phase that was coming to the fore in 1966-1967 was the Black Power phase. The integrated, large integrated demonstrations were not so much, um, not, not as prominent. Um, Ebony Magazine ran an article about the Milwaukee uh, open housing marches and the headline for it was Miracle in Milwaukee. And the miracle was that there was an integrated movement um, mm. in this time when that was not the dominant mode. Um, there was a d- disturbance on 3rd Street in Milwaukee in the African-American community that summer. Um, it is the reason that there was a pause in pushing for fair housing between June and August of 1967. Um, some people say that it doesn't meet the definition, the sociological definition of a riot. I'm willing to call it a riot. Hmm. But a lot of people in Milwaukee talk about the summer of 1967 as the year of the riots, plural. Hmm. Um, In fact, when Barack Obama was elected president, there was a celebration in the black community and the journal Sentinel Reporter who covered it began his or her article, I don't remember who the reporter was, uh, saying 41 years ago riots rocked Milwaukee. And I objected to that. I wrote to the editorial page editor asking for response. I said, as far as I'm concerned, um, the riot on 3rd Street was a mere interruption in the open housing campaign. But if you want to talk about riots, plural, I'll grant you even that there were multiple riots, but the word riot calls up in people's mind African-Americans out of control. Mm -hmm. And if you want to talk about riots, plural, two of them were on the south side by white people when we marched across the Mm. 16th Street Viaduct to Kosciuszko Park. We were 200. They were 8,000. Oh, wow. My clearest memory is the um, a police officer coming up to us in the park, uh, s- s- calling Father Grappi aside and saying, Father, would you say your prayer or whatever it is you want to do here? Mm. And then let's get out because we can't hold them. Mm. So by police Goodness. admission, the white crowds, hostile crowds, were out of control. Mm. Well, what's a crowd out of control? It's a riot. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Mm. But most people don't picture white people when they hear the word riot. Mm. So I said this all to the editorial page editor, and he said, I don't get your point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> oh, no. Right. We get Boy. it. Thank you. (laughs) It's so nice to be understood. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So the so the actual the the two hundred days is what we what we hear about what we've been referencing. Mm -hmm. Were you out marching for the two hundred days? How did that tell tell me a little bit about that the actual march? Right. The first two were across the Sixteenth Street Viaduct to Kosciuszko Park on the south side. I was in those. It was also the year that I um, had graduated from college and was starting a teaching job hmm. 
in Milwaukee Public Schools, and I was assigned to North Division High School, which was on the same square block as St. Boniface was. So I marched often enough to know who among my students was marching, which included one student who used crutches to walk. He had had polio as a child. Mm. Um, I still want to cry when I think of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly what I did because I was a new teacher and I had to go to school prepared to offer something to my classes. Mostly what I did was walk across the playground to St. Boniface and write thank you notes to people who had contributed money and sell sweatshirts and t-shirts and um, do that kind of clerical Mm -hmm. work. And then at the start of the march, I would go home and prepare class. So I continued to be involved, uh, but in a more low-key way as the school year um, developed. Mm -hmm. Right, right. That that, um, reminds me of um, You Black is a, a a group that's that's very active in Milwaukee, and they're they're preparing now for the uh, the Black Women's Empowerment March. And when they're talking about it, it's we want Black women to march, and we also want all of our allies to help do some of these other things. Not everybody's spot for that day for that event is in the middle of the playing field. Mm-hmm. We need so many other people doing other things to make it all successful. So I, I think that's another thing that we that's need to point. yeah point to get out to to the folks that are listening that every even um, Mil Chico is a new group too, where they help train uh, childcare workers that they want from everywhere to help watch the children of these many single mothers that are out mm-hmm. wanting to be activists and wanting to work for their community and they can't because they've got the children. And so it's a it's a, a community that's a part of the community effort. Not mm-hmm. everybody does the same thing. Right. Hmm. There's lots of ways to be involved. Um, e- even working in political campaigns, I have a friend who does, but she calls the campaign office and says I don't make phone calls and I don't do doors what do you need there you go (laughs) there's a place for everyone (laughs) right right mostly what they need is food Ah, there you go (laughs) which is good at that's perfect I like it I like it um did you ever feel afraid when you were marching I didn't at first uh Before that first march, I grew up on the south side of Milwaukee. It happened that I hung out to some extent on 16th Street. There was Mm. a pizza place I went to with my friends. And all the African-American teenagers were terrified. They'd been told from young on, don't go over there, that's trouble. Um, Don't know what will happen to you if you cross over the viaduct. Mm. And I thought, It'll be fine. It's been fine for me for years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it made a big difference when I was hanging out with white kids and when I w- had African-American friends. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it wasn't fine. And so that was that was scary. The scariest part for me was probably not in a public action because then you have your friends... Um, there are news cameras, um, various things help. Uh, but uh, at one point, 
someone gave the youth council tickets to the Milwaukee Repertory Theater, um, and I drove a car full of youth council members to this play, and then I dropped them all off, and then there were just two of us left in the car, and the police were following us all this time. And I said, Nate, after I drop you off, I'll be all by myself in this car, and I have a long way home. I'm scared. And he said, I know we'll lose them. And so he had me turn here, turn here, turn here, turn here. And we did lose the police. Um, so then I drove up to his house, and there were the police parked in front of his house. Because mm. <laughs> I knew we'd come back there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we sat in the car behind the police for a while, and finally they drove off, and, and he said, well, we can't sit here all night. Um, call me when you get home so I know you're okay. Right. But I was terrified. I did not want to be alone with the police. Wow. Boy, boy. And now for those that you hear saying that we're in a post-racial society, we've had an African-American president all is well in the world, there are no problems. (laughs) Do you have something that you can say to those folks that 1968, when we stopped the housing marches, wasn't the end of any racial tension? Well, you know, I think of that story, I think of that incident that happened to me. um, You know, I was 21 years old at the time. I was white, I had no police record. I um, was a responsible driver. And I was afraid of the police. I didn't grow up afraid of the police. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of that when, well, especially Sandra Bland, who was stopped for a traffic, a minor traffic offense, and ended up dead. Mm. You know, I, I think okay, I was lucky, or maybe nobody intended me any harm, mm. but um, th- that situation where the police are to be feared is a reality today. Mm-hmm. Hmm. If you're black. Mm-hmm. I'd like to I'd like to ask you what now? Because it's not a loaded question at all. Right. So you have five minutes left. Can <laughs> you, you just have, you have five minutes to tell us, us how to save the world. <laughs> We have we have bridged the divide. We have we have a group of people who are interested in affecting change. What do we do? I, I think I don't have all the answers. I don't even know if I have some of them. But there are people who do. Um, there's a surge group in Milwaukee, which is a national organization showing up for racial justice. S U R J, um, and they do things like. Um, offer bystander trainings. Um, you know, what do you do if you see what you think is an unfair racial incident mm-hmm. unfolding and there you are. Um, so I think they're helpful. Um, I One of the things that I've been doing lately is working with an organization in Milwaukee called Arts at Large. Uh, they do arts across the curriculum programs in public schools, uh, especially schools that have had arts cut, um, and and work with young people, uh, both 
as a civil rights consultant and as a poetry consultant, since I'm also a poet. And young people are articulating uh, what they see happening and becoming more aware of what they see happening and developing an understanding of why that's happening through spoken word, through mm-hmm. poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, there are traditional political campaigns that need people. Um, I, you know, when I be when I talked about having watched TV and watched um, situations where I thought there was racial injustice, and I began to ask myself, what can I do? And I walked around with that question for months. Mm-hmm. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And then those students came to my campus and said, we're looking for volunteers for this summer. Well, there was the answer. If you have the question and you keep asking it, somebody will um, give you an answer, uh, mm. at, at least a start of an answer, mm-hmm. um, where you can um, begin to uh, map out for yourself uh, where you can go from here. And a lot of things start really small. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the early open housing protests before the marches across the viaduct were less than 10 people. Oh, okay. That's encouraging. Right. In a way. I right. mean, because sometimes I think we see the problems as so big that there's nothing that we can do to make an impact. Right, right. But it's what every individual doing what they can to help people see and to change opinion and to call out systemic injustice right and and we have a, a forum here at the cedarburg public library we, we do bridge the divide well we're meeting once a month to not have all the answers but to ask some of the questions together <laughs> and see if we can come up with some of those baby steps to to affect some change it really right. is about seeing understanding the that there is a problem not knowing all the ins and outs but but together we can kind of get somewhere with it, I think. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> mm. Yes. Dr. Rosga, thank you mm. so very much for coming. I really think that, you know, you should just stay here <laughs> for the weekend and let us sit with you for the weekend, but I suppose you can't. <laughs> thank you very much for, for bringing your story to us. Uh, it was my pleasure. Thank you. So we've been talking about the crossing the line display, which outlines the history around the open housing marches of the 1960s in Milwaukee. And um, we just interviewed Dr. Margaret Rosga, and I learned a lot from that. I mean, it was incredible to have somebody who was there and, you know, who ended up marrying somebody who was integral Mm -hmm. in, in the events of the open housing march. And so just to hear a firsthand account, it, it felt like a real privilege to be it able did. to do that. It did. Um, so, you know, some of my takeaways, I'm going to, I'm just going to read something off one of the banners on the crossing the line display. Okay. Um, there's two maps up there on one of those banners. And one is from the 1960s, late 1960s, um, where, 
the blacks were fo- uh, forced to live in the city. It's a very small um, uh, proportion of the neighborhoods, maybe, I don't know, 10 from what, how I'm looking at this map. And so all of the black people of the city were forced to live in these neighborhoods. And then you look at a map of 2010, um, you know, many years later, and the map looks pretty much the same. In the middle of all the neighborhoods of Milwaukee, um, all the black people are concentrated, and uh, all around it is the white people. So 90 to 100% of black people live right in the middle of the city, and it's the opposite for whites. Mm-hmm. And so we are, to this day, still one of the most segregated um, cities in the nation. We are. We are. So um, right off, you know, this is right off the banner. It says, the racial divisions caused by segregation run deep. They still divide most of Milwaukee's neighborhood and schools today in ways people from the 1960s would easily recognize. 55 years ago, segregation was legal. That's crazy. Only 55 years ago. And the state of Mississippi was the most segregated place in the U.S. Today, even though segregation is illegal, Milwaukee is still cited as the most segregated city in the nation. And then kind of a, a summary of, of what we're talking about here is de facto segregation, so ingrained ideas about culture and race, influences decisions made every day about where people live and work and who they socialize with. Ideas are much harder to change than laws. Mm-hmm. The hard work of people like Vel Phillips, who we talked about in our first episode, or actually it was our second episode, but first part of this two-part series um, Father James Grappi and the NAACP Youth Council members helped make segregation illegal, but there's still much more to be done. Definitely. I would I would very easily, living in Ozaki County, say that we are segregated, not just within the county, but we're in Ozaki County, uh, Washington County, Waukesha County, Milwaukee County. People are very territorial Hmm. and even though we don't have the laws in place anymore you know we're self-segregating by where we're choosing to live Um, and because our neighborhoods are segregated our schools are segregated our our lives we're living separate lives apart from each other and how are we supposed to get any better at living in community if we're not even near each other we don't we don't know people outside of our race and culture. Right. And so we live in our presupposed ideas about what that race or culture is like. Mm-hmm. And there's really no way to change it except through educating yourself, but even better, getting to know people right. who right. are who break the stereotypes you have. Right. And what what is stopping us? What we've got these stereotypes, we've got the news that says that people that live in this area are this are like this. People that live in this area are this way. We've got um, the history. If you think about the housing marches, it's the late 60s. So some of us weren't quite born yet. But, you know, our parents were growing up in that time. Mm-hmm. If they're watching riots and they're saying things, about, if, they're, if they're a part of the riots, we saw all kinds of pictures. Mm-hmm. If you're standing there yelling and spitting on people that are that are coming across a bridge what are you what did you teach your mm-hmm. children how your children are feeling that those that energy that negative energy 
from that time period. And that's only that's not even one full generation away. So people are living with historical inaccurate, historical data, the stereotypes, and and we've got to change it. I think Mm -hmm. you do really have to know your history to know where how we got to where we are now and what we're supposed to do next. So you have to go backwards and know what happened historically. I I'm angry that I that so much history was omitted in my education. Right. I mean it, it's not there. And I was trying to think back. I'm reading that book we talked about, The Warmth uh, of Other Suns and it is devastating. Have yeah. you started it yet? I haven't. It's just it's it's intimidating. It's such a giant book. It's, the words are small and there's a lot of pages. <laughs> But I am learning so much, okay. and it is rocking my world. Mm-hmm. And and it's just what life was like for, you know, the black population under slavery. And then coming out of that, even when things started to become illegal, mm-hmm. just what they had to go through and, and why they moved north and right. why people ended up in Milwaukee right. and why they were put in, you know, one small part of the city. I'm just learning so much, and I... It's going to take a long time to process that and right. to understand what to do with it. But it's giving me a sense of why we still carry some of the things we do. It's, it's like what you said. We've never had an alternative view of history, a right. correct view of history, right. like right. what Dr. Rosga gave us. Right, right. It was it was nice hearing the, the first person accounts mm-hmm. and what she felt and what she thought while she was in the midst of the of the uh, the marches. Mm hmm. One of the things, I think she said this, I, I had put this in my notes is, um, she may have been quoting somebody else, but I wrote wrote down, are we responsible for our father's sins? Mm. And that could be a whole nother podcast. Yes. <laughs> a loaded question, right? We don't need, well, I have to speak for me. I don't need someone whose grandparents owned my grandparents, whose father was in a, a march shouting and spitting on my father. I don't need a, I'm going to come up to you and I want you to feel shame. I want Mm. you to feel guilt. I want you to know how terrible your ancestors were to my ancestors. But I think there's got to be a level of acknowledging it, Mm -hmm. understanding that it's real. It's not made up history. No. Acknowledging it. And then now what do we do? We Mm -hmm. don't, you know, we don't have to wallow in it to make sure you feel as angry Mm -hmm. as I feel about a certain topic in in history but we've got to talk about it and I think people are scared to talk about it because it's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and who wants to be uncomfortable if you don't have to be and you my lovely Heidi (laughs) can choose not to be uncomfortable if you don't feel like it right and I I don't have a choice I'm in this skin so Mm -hmm. I can't walk away and you can walk away which is why we have to be here together to say don't walk away let's let's talk about it. no I want to I want to sit in it with you and grieve it with you I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, we don't, we don't claim to have the answers. No. We're just having conversations to start and educating. And as we learn more, I know that my own empathy is growing. Yes. And yeah. my, my need to, to have action around this, this, this issue, these issues mm-hmm. and this divide in our country is, it's, um, it's growing stronger all the time. So we need to take a little break and we'll come back in a little bit.
So we really um, enjoyed our, our hangout time with Dr. Rosga. We, we very much enjoyed talking to her um, after, after the exhibit opening. She has um, a book that she wrote, 200 Nights in a Day. Um, and then she also has a, a poetry anthology that was created for the 50th anniversary called Where I Want to Live, Poems for Fair and Affordable Housing. Um, one of the things that, that stuck out for me is Dr. Rosga talking about how you process either the grief from then, the, the lack of movement forward or moving more forward as we would have wanted to um, all the way in 2018, but how people process it. And, and this group of people uh, wrote some poems. And I do have um, one of the poems that I really enjoyed that I wanted to read. And it's called Newtown by Rob Ganson. A home is not built of color or caste, or its need depend on fortunes amassed. Landlords often prey on the poor, miss one payment, a note on the door. Now we live in the times of serf and king, of sanction for bigotry to which some cling. Black lives matter, brown, yellow, and red, too often homeless, too often dead. The minimum wage should provide a place to live. That it does not is our disgrace. We must sing out loud, demand fair housing, sing on the net where masses are browsing. Fair housing for all is but civilization, a warm, dry, safe accommodation for every family, mother, child, worker, not overpriced flea traps into which we're piled. Clean water to drink is central to life, particularly to citizens living with strife. Our Uncle Sam spits on the worker, the poor, the struggle of masses abused and ignored. It is time for a new sort of society, one that celebrates diversity, variety, one where all share the American dream, where wealth trickles down the stream. Imagine a city shining on the water's edge, where fairness and hope are a solemn pledge. And I just, it, I enjoy that. I felt, reading it, I felt the the things that he didn't like, the things that he was lamenting over, mm -hmm. but that it's not the end. He didn't end it saying, oh, well, too too bad. Mm -hmm. There's there's still an American dream that we're trying to get and urging people to kind of do that together. Mm -hmm. So I, I really enjoyed that one. Um, I think that we, with Bridge the Divide, we, um, we brought this crossing the line to the library. It's here until August 28th. So we would like to invite you to still come in, read some of the panels, mm -hmm. sit and, and think about it a little bit. And um, if you didn't have anything else, I want to just end it with with uh, one of the quotes that um, I think he's a reporter, David Weir, um, said in one of his one of his documentaries. You can turn a stranger into a neighbor anytime you want, mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the things that we're trying to do because we're here in this community, but not necessarily together. And right. we need to locate these neighbors and you can just a, a word, a comment, you can make a, a stranger into a neighbor. So we should work on doing that. Thanks for uh, listening to uh, Bridge the Divide.